Screw it, screw it, we're just going to talk about Spider-Man. Welcome to Screw It, we're just going to talk about Spider-Man, the podcasts where two guys talk about old Spider-Man comics. I'm one of your hosts, Kevin Hines. I'm your other host, Will Hines. We are two brothers and two UCB comedians uh, who live on opposite coasts and grew up loving old Spider-Man comics and are now doing a podcast about those old comics. Specifically, I'm talking about the original run by Steve Ditko and Stan Lee, which uh, we have gone through each and every issue of before this episode. Yes. If this is the first episode of our podcast you're listening to, you've picked an interesting time. Because we have finished the podcast. We've done every episode of the Steve Ditko Stanley issues that we wanted to. And we're doing this episode to do the very next two issues with the new artist, the second artist on Spider-Man. Just sort of to compare the difference of the eras. And because it's a big, huge story. Yeah, it's a huge chapter in the Spider-Man mythos. And it's uh, one that we like a lot, I think. Right, Kevin? Yeah, I like it. Um, I like it too. I like it too. Uh, uh, Ramita's run overall, I'm up and down on, but it starts off. I mean, this no, you can't complain about this little two issue story. It's great. It's fun. Yeah. So we're gonna um, we're gonna just we'll quickly talk about this two issue arc, issues thirty nine and forty, and then we'll sort of talk about how it's different than Steve Ditko, and how the Spider Man universe would be different without old Steve. Yeah, think of this episode of our podcast sort of as an epilogue to the Steve Ditko run. Think of it that way. Think of it that way now. Right. Think about it for a moment. And then we're going to do another episode next week. That'll be the coda to our epilogue. (laughs) Yeah, like Kevin said last episode, we are the return of the king of podcasts. We keep seeming like we should be over, but then there's more. Yeah. Do we have any Uh, podcast news other than the fact that uh, next week is our last episode of the season? I think that's it. That is our podcast news. Uh, I have a tiny bit of Spider-Man news. Oh, exciting. You're Spider-Man. Uh, and I'm Spider-Man. I've been hiding it <laughs> for the first uh, 40 episodes of this podcast. <laughs> I feel like now's the time to reveal that I am yeah. secretly Spider-Man. Yeah, good finish. Uh, um, Next episode's going to suck. I, should, I shouldn't have <laughs> yeah. blown it now. Yeah, I was sort of saving it. Um, so if you know, if you have some crime that you need me to fight, <laughs> send me an email because uh, there's not a lot in uh, New Jersey. I mean, there is, but not where I live. And, and also not, not the kind that Spider-Man can fix by punching things. No. Uh, there's some potholes that I've punched, and uh, those are bigger now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a bad approach. Yeah, I just, I, I, miss, I misthought it. There was some uh, buddy who was like, took a, a left far too late. The light was red, so I yeah. punched that guy. So I'm, uh, I'm going to trial next week for that. Because that was people said it was abuse, and I think they're right. Honestly, they're right. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. you should you should plead guilty. So I, I'm looking for some real super crime. If you've got that, please send an email to screwitspidey at gmail dot com. Uh, no, uh, my other Spider Man news, and I, I I shared this with on our Instagram very recently, is that in the most recent issue of Spider Man, Amazing Spider Man number seven of whatever volume they're on now, yeah. Peter Parker mentions that he goes to the Upright Citizens Brigade. Every Sunday, which is a theater that Will and I have performed a perform at, uh, where you took classes that we teach at. So yeah. uh, there's a good chance that Peter Parker has seen you or I perform. I love thinking about that. Um, yeah, it said he goes on Sunday nights, which is Ascat night. Yeah, it's a free show. It makes sense that Peter would go to that one. Yep. Hip choice. That's very informed UCB specific. Yeah. But for a guy who's always rushing off to fight crime, I don't know how he has time to wait in line to get the free ticket and then come back and see an hour long show. <laughs> um, I really feel like that's when like Dr. Octopus is like robbing all those radiation factories. <laughs> well, this is a good tip of your supervillain. If you want to pull something off and have Spider-Man take a little while to get to you, start it on Sunday nights at 730 in New York. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, but yeah, it was exciting. It was sort of a melding of our worlds of Spider-Man and the UCB theater. So that was uh, really fun. Thank you, yeah. Nick Spencer, for mentioning our theater. Thank you, Nick. And also, I guess in the Spider-Man universe, that means he probably listens to our podcast. I think it's a fair assumption. If you've gone to see a UCB show. You're regular. You're He's a regular probably, Sunday performer. You're probably a fan of you know you because you perform at the new york theater and he's probably so into it he dug deep to see who used to perform at the new york theater which is me well i think he's going to ask at he hears the two performers are doing a podcast about him 
So he overhears it, like people in the crowd are talking about it. <laughs> I'm sorry, people are <laughs> murmuring. I don't know. He's he's in on, he's sitting around students. People are like, "Hey, did you listen to Kevin Will's new podcast? It's about that superhero in our city." Because yeah. we're probably a much bigger podcast in the Marvel universe where Spider Man is real. That's true. You, you think our podcast still exists? That's. I mean, if the UCB still exists, we still exist, and I don't know what else we'd be doing. You think that Peter Parker would have gone to check out Steve Ditko? <laughs> <laughs> Well, after, we, uh, he, after, we, after we talk about him so much, I mean, for half the podcast, Steve Ditko was still alive. I mean, there's a good chance he did and just couldn't get in. Yeah, that's Ditko turned him away. I don't want to talk to you. It's, he's like, hey, I'd love to talk. I'm Spider-Man. I don't want to talk about Spider-Man. <laughs> no, but I am him. You created me. I'm confused about what this world is that I live in. My work speaks for myself. Yeah. For itself. Why did I say my work speaks for itself? All right. So, yeah. um. That's that's, that's our Spider-Man news. So let's talk about issues 39 and 40. So this is John Romita's first two issues of Amazing Spider-Man. He drew Spider-Man in Daredevil recently, which I've read was Stanley preparing John Romita quietly because he knew Ditko was short for this world. Yes. Now, here, here's how I think we should do this episode, Kevin. I think we should give a very quick summary of these two issues of the whole story. We're going to spoil the heck out of it. Yeah. And then if we'll you haven't of- read these issues... They came out in 1966. You should stop recording now because I'm about to give it all away. Yeah. And we'll just talk about it sort of kind of quickly. And then we'll go back and drill down to talk about sort of why we think this story's good and examples of how it's different than Ditko and stuff like that. Okay. So what it's a two issue arc featuring the Green Goblin. That's right. The Green Goblin, who we haven't seen since uh, sometime mid 65, uh, where he was starting one of his many gang wars. Yeah. And this is the big reveal. We find out who the Green Goblin is. The Green Goblin unmasks Spider-Man at one point. Yes. Those are the two big dramatic events. Yes. Uh, And as well as like a big Goblin versus Spidey fight. Yeah. uh, There's lots of little things that happen, but the main thing is the Goblin follows Spider-Man around, finds out he's Peter Parker, uh, confronts him outside his house. They fight. He... Fights him as Peter Parker. He, you know, Peter Parker's fighting the Green Goblin for a little bit. Without his Spider-Man costume on, which is a really right. cool fight. Yeah. Uh, but uh, by the end of it, oh, and, and then Green Goblin reveals he's Norman Osborn, who Peter Parker really doesn't know that well <laughs> at this point. Yeah, he has to think about who he is. But he's he, like, oh, yeah, you're the father of that guy who's mean to me in college. Yes. Um, Didn't have the impact I think Norman thought it would. But it's somebody that we as comic readers know because Norman Osborn was featured a lot a couple issues ago. In That's the, right. In the two robots issue. Yes. And then um, – And then – and then, so then At the that, end of this story, Norman, uh, because of this fight he has with Spider-Man, his brain is sort of uh, shocked and he forgets yeah. that he was the Green Goblin. He forgets like the last two years of his life from when he became the Green Goblin. There's a fire in the place where they're fighting and like – I think in his hideout and then the goblin gets thrown into chemicals and electricity. And in the Marvel universe, that always means something magic happens and it erases his memory. Yeah. And so Spider-Man takes him out of the green goblin costume, puts him back in his Norman Osborn suit and tells everyone that Norman helped defeat the green goblin and doesn't send him to jail. He doesn't want to send this guy to jail if he doesn't remember he's the green goblin. He sort of he lies for him to because he's like, well, if he doesn't remember being the goblin anyway, what's the point of sending this guy to jail? Thus reuniting Harry Osborn with his dad. And I think this is a huge aspect of at least the early Spider-Man mythos is that Norman Osborn is sort of walking around and could at any time remember that he's the Green Goblin, remember that Spider-Man is Peter Parker and ruin Peter Parker's life. Yeah, it's like a little time bomb in the Spider-Man universe. Uh, and Peter sort of lets that happen. He doesn't, I mean, just, I don't know really what he could do other than send him to jail, which would probably get his secret identity released anyway. But um, yeah, it's very interesting to say like, ah, th- why send this guy to jail? He doesn't remember doing it. It's a big, this becomes a big chapter of the Spider-Man story. It's like Spidey doesn't, is not this vengeful guy full of punishment. He, he likes to forgive people if he thinks it's worth it. Yeah, he wants... I mean, he doesn't want there to be crime. And this is a a, a father to somebody, and he lost yeah. his father and his father figure. He doesn't want to take that away from somebody. It's very interesting. Uh, yeah. And I think it's it's uh, um, immense. It's an immense part of his storyline. After, yeah, okay, so that that's the overall story. So now we can talk about sort of the differences. Yeah, there aren't any. 
Um, <laughs> it feels just like another Ditko. No. Yeah. Um, it's a huge, so the, what you're hinting at right there is we've just come off of several not great Steve Ditko issues where they're not that thought through and Stan seems to have really phoned in the dialogue and the villains seem boring and not a lot happens. So first of one of the main differences, so much happens after like several issues of just sort of like marking time. We, we have huge events go down. Yeah. Um, you got to assume Stan was involved in the plotting, told Ramita what he wanted this story to be about. Yeah. Um, and definitely it seems like he's tying up lots of loose threads that either Ditko put into those issues or Stan Lee sort of dialogued into those issues. And they don't quite make sense when they come together completely, but at least they're being tied up. Yeah. It's just all of a sudden like Stan Lee is engaged again. Like there's lots more jokes in this issue than there has been. Like Spidey's personality is way more a part of the story than it has been recently. Yeah. Um, it, Lot, Even yeah. though I think these two issues are great, it does feel a little too much. It, it feels like a little crowded. Yeah. Um, especially when you're, if you're coming off, if you're not thinking about those last few issues, you're more focused on master planner or even the handful of issues just before that. Yeah. This feels sort of just like a little forced, a little trying to make it a big deal. Yeah. Almost. There's a tiny part of me also is like, was he trying to make this issue huge so that nobody worried about Ditko leaving? Yeah, maybe. Um, now I'm going to say overall, even though I do, I do like this story a lot. I think it's really good. I, I, I love the dramatic impact of Norman Osborn. I love that Spidey sets him free. That's a real Spidey, yes. defining Spidey moment for me. Uh, and I, I like John Romita's art. Obviously, he's a terrific artist. However, and it's probably just sentimental attachment. I am. It doesn't feel. I already missed Ditko. There's, and one of the things that I, you know. Again, great story, but one of the things I kind of am disappointed in is that, like, it does feel uh, somehow less. I can't believe I'm saying this. It feels less emotional overall. I think his drawing is very uh, rigid or something like. Yeah, Ramita has a more clean cut. He's more super heroic. You know, yeah. Spider-Man feels more like a classic superhero when Ramita draws him. Everyone has like square Which- jaws and big shoulders. Which for sure probably helps Spider-Man become an even bigger hit than he already was. Yeah. Like a creepy, weird superhero. That's it's strange that ever was a hit. That's true. That's true. Um, it's, a, it's, it's a testament to how good Ditko was and how good the character is and how good Stan Lee is that Spider-Man worked. Ramita's like, this is a, like the safer choice. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of like, uh, this is the, it's like we had the indie version of it and now we have the Hollywood studio version. Yeah. And uh, the Hollywood version is probably going to be a bigger hit. Probably going to be a bigger hit. And it is good. I mean, it's a well done thing, of course. Yeah. I think there's some great, as you said, some great character moments. I mean, as I said, I think it's an immense, huge, great moment when Spider-Man, Peter Parker, doesn't put uh, Norman in jail, freeze this guy. I think that's huge. I think it's great. I think it pays dividends on and off. But the story, it didn't work for me as well as it should have for how big a story it is. Uh, let's talk some quick details. Uh, well, first of all, the happen, Green Goblin. A lot, a lot happens in this story. Yeah. The Green Goblin's look isn't as creepy. Oh, that's interesting. I actually think, well, yes, it's very different. It's, it, I mean, well, okay, that's so interesting because here we see somebody else drawing a lot of characters that Steve Ditko created. And Ditko has such a unique, like, aesthetic. You know, people's hair is so strange in Steve Ditko land and people's faces are so grotesque. So what is it going to look like? When a Hollywood studio guy has to take these character designs, they're they're all like, they look like the Ditko things, but they're different somehow. And if you look at page two of issue 39, well, the fourth panel. Yes. And the goblin's face is just sort of goofy. Yeah. It's goofier. Yeah. He looks more animated. I mean, it is more animated. It looks like the Joker a little bit more. Like kind of manic and crazed, more of like a, a spring era Joker. Yes, um, the goofy side of Joker, not the maniacal Frank Miller or he, uh, Brian Boland type Joker. He does look kind of jokey. Yeah, yeah. I don't. It's not bad. I mean, it is a goblin mask. Yeah. If if someone really was wearing a goblin mask and fighting crime, he would look silly. Yeah. But there was something about the way Ditko drew it that, especially in the last few appearances, because I kind of went back and checked to see how it looked 
and it's he looks evil he looks menacing. like menacing yeah. he looks like less like a mask and more like a monster come to life where this looks like oh this is a halloween mask yeah uh it's not wrong yeah um but it is there um Look on, speaking of just John Romita's drawing style, look on page three, four, page four, for panel five, uh, like Peter Parker's shocked expression when he hears that Aunt May is in danger of being sick again. Yes. Uh, like that's such a soap opera face. Like this looks like, I don't know, like Mary Worth or Apartment 3G or I feel like I can, yeah. I feel like I can hear an organ going dun, dun, dun. I think this is true, but I, I don't actually know for sure. But Romita seems like somebody who cut his teeth on romance books versus Ditko's sci-fi monster books. Yeah, it, lo- it looks like it from the way he draws this. I like the doctor looks like something that Spider-Man's talking to. He looks like somebody out of a general hospital. He's a very dashing. I mean, this doctor is a hunk. I would, a very dashing doctor. I would fall in love with this doctor if he was my doctor. That mustache, he's a good provider. I don't think Aunt May has ever been sick. Yeah. I think it's all faking to get near this <laughs> yeah. guy. Um, every, everybody in this issue is kind of like sort of buff and, and good looking flash Thompson looks way better looking like flash Thompson's a dream boat. Yeah. Um, so it's Peter Parker, it's P- Peter Parker, who's already becoming good looking now is just flat out. He's, he looks a little younger. Yeah. Which is probably good. Yeah. Uh, cause he is very young. He's first year of college, but he looks very, uh, handsome. Looks like a matinee idol. Um, so we, many things happen in this issue. So like one of the things that happens is we find out that Aunt May cannot is, is like on death's door, which I guess she's always been. But there's times when we're yeah. worried about that and times when we're not. So we're worried about that again. And in particular, the doctor says no shocks. And that. Yeah, it's a little it feels a little bit like a rollback because uh, after the Master Planner saga, it sort of felt like, oh, Peter doesn't need to worry as much about Aunt May. Yeah. And now that Ditko's gone, gone Stan's like, yeah, but we still worry about her. Yeah, we need that. We need that element back in play and it's basically like no shocks and that is so that i question this doctor's bedside manner yes uh it's not good he basically tells peter parker your aunt's gonna die if you screw if something up. shocks yeah. him yeah if you don't like startle her don't like come out of the bathroom too quickly yeah. you will kill your aunt yeah. If you hypothetically reveal to your aunt that you have been a superhero this whole time i think she'll die that's basically what he's saying yeah uh, and that's, you know, a real risk for people. The other thing this story has to do is it has to really quickly beef up the character of Norman Osborn and Harry Osborn because we're going to have this big reveal that a supervillain is Norman Osborn. So even though we've met Norman before, we now have to quickly, like, really beef him up into a full character. Yes. And we have to beef Harry Osborn up into a – Well, it's also very interesting talking about Harry. It's very quickly – that the anger of Ditko has evaporated on page five. Basically, Flash is being way nicer to him. Yes. Gwen is being nicer. Harry is being nicer. I, think I have pretty quickly. I haven't thought about that. They think about how they were mean, but they are quickly going, hey, Peter's probably an okay guy. Like Flash thinks to himself on page six, panel four, Parker's a funny guy. After all the needling he's taken from, uh, uh, after all the needling he's taken from him, there he is talking to Harry like a Dutch uncle. He's either a real weak sister or a lot more man than we ever thought he First was. Of all, That's huge. That dialogue is full of awesome Stan Lee-isms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. Touch uncle, weak sister. I don't understand most of it. But he ends with going, Peter's a real man. I mean, it's becoming like clockwork orange level other dialogue here. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's real horror oh, yeah. show, man. Real in out. I mean, it's, I'm having trouble interpreting what's even happening. But – the word tiger is in like four captions. Stanley <laughs> discovered the word tiger recently. He said he addresses the reader as a tiger. People yeah, mention each right. other as tigers. <laughs> yeah. We haven't even gotten to Mary Jane and her famous first line. You just hit the jackpot tiger. Yeah, face it, tiger. You just hit the jackpot. Right. That hasn't happened yet. But uh, the word tiger is throughout this story. When Mary Jane says that, it shouldn't even phase Peter. Everyone calls him Tiger. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Flash Thompson, I think you're right. It's it's the absent. Ditko is such an angry person, which is one of the things that we can sort of generally infer from his very few social interactions. Uh, the the world has become nicer in the absence of Ditko. People are more and, easily going to be like loving and kind. Yeah, there's some awareness that they were mean, but it's almost like they're like, why were we so mean to him it's for like so a long? spell has been lifted. Uh, and Flash being nice to him is huge because Flash is is a bully character yeah. who becomes one of Spider-Man's best friends. Yes. 
it, it, that is one of the big differences in these issues. The, the world feels more open. Like the story is very crowded. Lots of stuff happens, but it also just feels like it's not so claustrophobic either. It's not just like Spidey and Aunt May and the villain. Like you can feel other people here now as part of the society. It's, it's interesting how fast that happens. Yeah. Another, another thing um, is Ramita's drawing style is he fills in the backgrounds. Like every, there's like bushes and buildings like Ditko will leave backgrounds very spare. Um, Especially in those later issues. When he's getting a little lazier. They're getting more and more spare. But uh, th- there's a good and a bad, if- I mean, now I'm speaking as an amateur, I'm not an artist, but like as a reader, those spare backgrounds make for some very powerful like compositions, like you're very focused just on Spider-Man or just on the weapon or whatever. But now here in the Ramita issues, well, well there's a whole college campus behind Peter and Harry. Oh, the Daily Bugle's full of activity and people. Oh, you know, the hospital yeah. has all these nurses and stuff. Like everything feels bigger, kind of. I'm going to talk about a couple uh, little mistakes I feel like Ramita makes. Okay. One, Flash Thompson is in Peter's science class. Right, he shouldn't be. We talked about that before, that, uh, you know, they shouldn't be in class together. Uh, and Flash hasn't been shown in science class because he wouldn't be taking science. He's a football scholarship student. Right. Uh, that's minor. He's taking like an al- and then also like, taking like an alphabet class or something. And the, and, and the reason I thought yeah, he's taking alphabet for jocks, <laughs> you can get a few letters wrong. Um, and because you mentioned the sparse backgrounds, when Spider-Man's web slinging and Ditko issues, he's largely framed by buildings all over him. He's rarely like the sky is rarely behind him. And if he's Spider-Man's way up in the air, it's often like a uh, shot looking down at Spider-Man and the buildings below right, him. Right. But even on this, on page six, you see Spider-Man sort of swinging and it's mostly blue sky behind him, which doesn't make sense. I don't know what his web is attached to. Yeah. this be- Especially because he lands on what I think is the Empire State, the Empire State yeah, Building. He swings down onto the Empire State Building. It's very noticeable, I think. Yeah. Like at first I was like, is this, this can't be the Empire State Building because he's swinging from really far up to land on it. But it is, it is for sure the Empire State Building. This becomes like a trope, right? To make fun of Spidey. Like, I feel like in anything that's making fun of Spider-Man or the Marvel Universe, someone's always like, what is my web attached to? Or I feel like that's a common joke. Right. And that'd be like a funny, um, fake thought balloon to give him in a, in a, in a few rewrote this. Yeah. So like. Uh, I, I think that's born with Ramita. Ramita's like, I don't care. I'm just going to draw him looking. I mean, the, the, the actual Spider-Man figure looks great. It, he's just in a weird place. He's a little more heroic when he swings around. He's muscular as uh, all get out. More like Tarzan swinging on a rope than, uh, you know, this creepy Ditko or even later on McFarlane um, web slinger. Yeah. But uh, this is definitely the Spider-Man that I knew from coloring books. Yeah. And like kids' toys yeah, is, and things like that. This is the Spider-Man of all the early merchandise. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that happens in this issue is we we beef up Harry Osborn. I, I, I wonder right. how much of this was Stan. I feel like this was Stan. Um, like we have to we have to in one issue make Harry who Harry has just been one of the gang needling Peter. They have to become and, friends. And he seemed eviler than all the other kids just because of his face. He seemed like a little rat. Yeah. But he now, in one issue, becomes better friends with Peter than any of them. We learn, and he quickly will become Peter's roommate, and again, one of his best friends. And we have to, they start sharing information. Like Harry starts revealing that he's got this troubled relationship with his dad that we're you know who mm-hmm. we're about to learn is the Green Goblin. Yes, and Peter shares that he's an orphan, which he's made very very little mention about. He has no parents. He'll mention how close he is to his aunt and uncle. But re- Peter rarely directly mentions that that means he has no mom and dad. But here he mentions it's it to very. Harry. He mentions it to Harry in a very funny, uh, uh, overt way. Like Harry sort of being like, oh, why is my dad so hard on me? And Peter's response is, I know what you mean, fella, but try to look at it this way. It can always be worse. For instance, take, take me. I don't remember ever even having a father. Yeah. It's like, it's like it basically sounds like, what are you whining yeah, about? It's like, wow, you really forced that in here. Uh, it's like, yeah, it's not about you, Peter, <laughs> but I mean, it, it's meant to be like, let's bond yeah. over our troubled Harry's family. Response, you mean you're an orphan? I didn't know that about you. And then that, that yeah. even- Harry took it a very nice way, even though what was said could have easily led to, you know, uh, so, so I guess I don't have it as bad as you, so I can't feel bad or whatever. Yeah. But the, 
it it does it is one of those like ham fisted moments that I also think works like it does feel like college, you know, you get to know somebody from a different background or something and you learn their story and you're kind of like, oh, wow, I didn't realize. Yeah. Didn't know you'd gone through that or whatever. And it's all part of this thing we're talking about, sort of just this rush to get them friendlier and nicer. I mean, that that sort of two sentence passage takes them from like Harry Osborne hates Peter and wants to uh, set tricks on him and, and uh, like be mean to him to being like, oh, I like this guy now. Um. What do you th- it takes a couple panels to get there. What do you there. think of the J. Jonah Jameson stuff? We have it. We have some J. Jonah stuff happen in this. Dude. Not nothing big. Oh, of everything in here, Jonah looks the weirdest to me. Yeah. Um, and and that's just because I think we've just been so deep into the Ditko stuff. Yeah. And I'm reading modern comics. I'm seeing Jonah drawn other where other places, but Jonah feels so out of place. He feels like, um, do you know Taki Tani from the uh, uh, Captain Marvel comics? Yes. He's like a talking, walking cartoon tiger that hangs out with Captain Marvel. Yeah. Uh, he feels like that. He feels like this character shouldn't even exist in this he's world. He's too strange. He's too silly looking. Uh, um, the mustache, the cigar. Um, it, it's the, the humor feels a little more overt and silly and like meaningless. I guess the cigar is more realistically sized, but it makes his head look huge. I feel like I'm looking at MODOK. Yeah. Yeah, There's not, it's, they, they go to this exchange where like Peter tries to sell him photos and Jonah's like, I don't want them. And Peter's like, I'll sell them somewhere else. And it it almost feels like a, I don't know, a PG version of the R rated normal interactions they'd have. Yeah. Not that they were R rated before, but that's like a sweetness it, it feels to it. Kid friendly. Yeah, J. Jonah feels a little more toothless. Yeah. Now, I don't know if that sticks around. I, I think, as always, Jonah sort of up goes up and down in his um, demeanor and how they use him. But I think Ditko looked at Jay Jonah as the a villain. Um, the big and I think I think Stan looks thinks looks at him as more of a comedic yeah, foil, comic relief. Um, the fight at the end of the first issue. This is where so Goblin ends up like tracking uh, Peter Par- uh, Spider Man and figuring out that it's Peter Parker and following him home and attacks him outside of his house. And this is really effective. That is we haven't seen this before, and it is really scary. And uh, and Peter doesn't have his web shooters on. Yeah, it's a big deal. We haven't had to see Peter Parker fighting one of his supervillains as Peter Parker. Like, he's outed. He's never been outed before. Yeah. And that's a huge deal. And the fight is is good. It's uh, like all of Romita stuff. It's cleaner than like I think it did go fight, but it's well orchestrated. It's well choreographed. Yeah. I mean, Romita knows what he's doing. Yeah. Not being as good as Ditko. And I, I honestly think if you asked Romita in the day, he would have been like, well, I'm not as good as Ditko. Yeah. But that's not a knock on an artist. It's it, he's doing a very tough job. I mean, he's taking over the number one Marvel property from a guy who's got his own unique style. Um, and it's the first like big artist to step down. Like even whoever, I don't even know who followed um, Kirby on Fantastic Four, which would also have been a yeah. huge uh, shoes to follow. But at least then you're like, it's it's been a hundred issues yeah. and a few other artists have come and gone. Yes. So this is what this is like one of the first big like torch passing moments. There's a lot of pressure at him, and, and I, yeah. If this doesn't work, it might be a sign that Marvel Comics lives and dies with this original art teams. That's right. Um, and I, I'd say it, largely it spoiler does, alert, it worked. It works, yeah. Uh, and I think he did a, a great job. I mean, I I'm yes. Ditko's my guy. Like I'm attached to Ditko forever. But that's partly emotional, partly sentimental. I, I can objectively see this is a good comic. Yes. Um, and it's, and it's certainly better than the recent, the, the, the recent Ditko's, but that's not even a fair compare. But even if you compare it to the peak Ditko, peak Ditko is better, but this is still good. I think the indie versus Hollywood is a good comparison. Yeah. It would be like, it's kind of like, um, if you know the Robert Rodriguez movie, uh, uh El Mariachi. Right. He redid it as Desperado. So El Mariachi, he did it like with no money and, a no, and no name actors. Then he re- basically redid the movie with Antonio Banderas and a real budget. And yes, they're both really good movies. They're both really good, but there's a charm to the indie one that you miss. Uh, but it, it, but the Hollywood budget one is also really cool. I weirdly think it's almost like somebody, uh, um, even it, I think it's a little bit more stark than that because it's still uh, well, that's still the same director, still the same director, and he still has the same flair. Obviously, he's got like great looking. His Salma Hayek and Antonio Banderas in your movie, yeah, it's a good looking movie, yeah, um, easy on the eyes. But it's just it's it's that's almost like Ditko being allowed to really do what he wanted to do all along. And there's something else about like 
I know somebody else doing a similar feel of that movie. Um, uh, Maybe it's, it's uh, the Jason Bourne movies. There, there was like Doug Lyman directed the original and then Paul Greengrass did all the, the other ones. Yeah, I feel like the whole trilogy is well. <laughs> it's it's hard to think of a good example. It's it's I guess it's like thinking of something like um, Maybe The Raid. Like, Maybe it's like Doctor Who. Like you see different Doctor Who's, you know, with like totally different writers and stuff. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking it's more like something like The Raid or some one of these like action movies that sort of like takes people by surprise why it's so good. Yeah. And then like somebody else just tries to do a similar vibe and it could be a bigger hit, but um, it's only a bigger hit because it has more marketing and more money and more names, but it doesn't have that director's feel. Yeah. I saw it's, Battle it's, it's Royale hard. recently. Yes, that's the kids trapped on an island. Yeah, that's like basically Hunger Games. It's the Japanese Hunger Games. I also watched that for the first time like in the last year. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, I'd seen Hunger Games and I liked it. I had not read the book, but I I liked the Hunger Games movie and I liked the conceit of it. You know, all the districts send a representative and they have to go to this area and have like a fight to the death. Right, I remember. Yes. And then Battle Royale is the, it's very similar. It's much more brutal and, yes and sad and severe it's also weirdly more campy and insane yeah um but it's the original and it's like a little so it's this japanese you know action slash suspense film and uh, right i think Where it kids, inspired like Hunger school kids. kids are all put on an island to fight to the death and they're and they are to their surprise like they're told about it an hour before it happens yeah and some of them are really good at it yeah, yeah, that's the weird. Some of them are natural killers. <laughs> um, but th- that one feels like a really kind of indie, weird, some parts yes. are great, some parts are strange, stew. And then Hunger Games is a very slick, smoothed out version of that same idea. And I do like them both. Yeah, I think that's a great, that's a good comparison, those two. Um, but Battle there's something Royale, cool. There's something cool about Battle Royale because it's so out of nowhere. And you know, because like, well, there's so many ideas and it's so crazy. And then Hunger Games was like, yeah, you did this idea really well. Yeah. Hunger Games is more thought through. Battle Royale, it's kind of like some stuff is brought up and then it doesn't really pay off later. That kind of thing happens in Battle Royale. Some character choices just have to sort of happen. You have to just sort of take them like... Yeah. They feel force. like these people like each other and just buy that or you're going to have trouble with this whole movie. Yeah. They just met and they're deeply in love and that's the way it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, this fight at the end of the first issue with Peter unmasked, no web shooters in front of his house with Aunt May in it. That's, that's, that's a great fight. This is a great fight. Yeah. He's got his like spider costume sort of peeking through the tattered uh, Peter Parker clothing. Yeah. It looks really good. Uh, and Peter looks desperate to end this fast. No shocks, no shocks," said the doctor. It's it's really good yeah. drama, and then it ends with uh, the last panel. Norman dra- defeats him or subdues him, uh, brings him to the waterfront, which means he flew him, by the way, all the way to Manhattan, to the <laughs> west side. So he yeah. went over all the buildings. Uh, I won't I won't get into that. Maybe they took the subway, um, and then uh, gets him into a warehouse and unmasks himself and reveals that it's Norman Osborn, and it's a big dramatic finish. Big dramatic finish, probably a bad move from Norman. Stupid move. Uh, there's a couple. One other thing in this first issue I wanted to talk about, where like Stan is trying to wrap up plot lines. Back on page thirteen, yeah. um, Peter has been dosed with some gas from from the Empire State Building fight that has dulled his spider senses. That's how the Goblin is able to see him change. Yes. Um, and Peter Parker remembers an earlier fight that Stan Lee had written some dialogue where Spider Man worried that his uh, spider sense wasn't working. Yes, that's right. Um, which I, it still isn't fully explained by this because he wasn't hit by a gas in that story. His spider sense was working in that story. It has nothing to do with this spider sense thing. But I think Stanley wrote that thinking it was going to pay off and it didn't pay off. Yeah. And I think here it stands sort of like I think it was been bothering Stan. Going, I wish I didn't write that line about him worrying about his spider sense. So I'm going to tie it up here. Yeah. It, it's one of these little moments. It also reintroduces the idea of Strom who is Norman Osborn's partner yeah. that Norman killed. Yeah. But uh, uh, there's also a bit, I think, of Stan tying up a weird thread. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of that at the start of issue 40. Yes. Um, let's get into it. Let's get into that. Yeah. I mean, issue 40, first of all, Norman basically tells his origin. This is the classic villain, you know, while Bond is tied up, Goldfinger tells him everything. 
Like it's, and he tells it for six, seven pages. He gets into it. Uh, that's more exposition than Stan Lee normally likes. Yeah, he would make fun of this normally. But we hear how Norman became the goblin. We hear how he betrayed Professor Strom. We see his that his wife died, so he raised Harry by himself, and he's got this uh, tr- uh, challenged relationship because he's always busy at work and he can't spend time with his son like he wants. Yeah, and he sort of pushes he pushes Harry off to like make money because he thinks that's the way to take care of Harry, which I think is actually a pretty understandable, believable rather uh, thing for a father to do. Yes, uh, and we sort of see that he was a ruthless businessman, but then because of a chemical accident, he that ruthlessness turns into psychotic evil. Yeah, in later comics, Harry and Norman's relationship is very much Norman thinking of Harry as worthless and like weak. Uh, there's more sweetness here. Um, a lot of, I guess it's a, you know, I'm going to make an assumption here. I, I, most comic book readers are young boys. And so that's your target audience. And one thing that Spider-Man did well under Ditko was take the side of a young boy and like how scared you might be of the world and how bullying everybody seems. And this is continuing that track. And it's kind of like, oh, do you have trouble with your relationship with your dad? You know, yeah. we've had a lot of mom stuff with the Aunt May. Now the Norman Harry thing kind of gives the the distant dad character. It does a lot to make, to redeem Harry, who's sort of been a sniveling, has been a sniveling worm of a character. Yeah, but we, to sort of be like, oh, that poor guy has had it rough. Yeah, it really humanizes. Um, yeah. And it's, and it's good. I, I love that stuff. Um, we also find out he's the Green Goblin because green is Norman Osborn's favorite color. That's so stupid. <laughs> it's like one of those origins, like in the new Han Solo movie, where uh, Han Solo talks to Chewbacca and goes, I can't call you that whole long name. I got to come up with something shorter. It's like, we didn't need an origin for the nickname Chewy. Yeah. And we didn't need to know why the Green Goblin is green. Yeah, we just accept that villains have cool disciplined color palettes and w- and we weren't questioning it yeah but but there's a line in here where norma says and i'll paint it green <laughs> my favorite color green. yeah it's i didn't know villains had favorite colors it's really? nice i guess it's really- yeah um but yeah so they sort of recap the whole norman harry saga we also check in on betty which is interesting we haven't seen her yeah. for a few issues betty comes back betty's everybody looks beautiful when ramita draws them like betty looks like a babe oh and also there's Ned and Peter makeup as, as part of the niceifying. Yeah. We, we skipped past that, but like he runs into Ned and Ned and him are like, Hey, let's not fight anymore. And they're like, okay. Yeah. They basically both apologize for their behavior. Yeah. Everybody and, is just nice in New York city all of a sudden. And Peter even says to him, "Is like, you know what? If Betty comes back, I'm not going to compete with you for her. Cause we're getting past that storyline. <laughs> he basically says that we're moving on to new subplots. Um, this is, here's a super dumb thing. That happens. I mean, I do like these issues overall, but like while Goblin has Peter tied up, he pulls out a device called a retroscope that (laughs) that lets him display his own memories. And it's a way that we can redraw a lot of classic Ditko scenes, Ramita style, as Goblin reminds Peter of all their past fights. Yeah, I think this is all trying to build Goblin up to being the new arch nemesis of Spider-Man, sort of replacing Dr. Octopus. Yeah. So it's like, hey, we fought a lot. Remember, we fought the Enforcers and we fought with the Human Torch. And, uh, you know, I tried to put those gangs together. All that was fun times, right? Yeah. And he's just show, and it's kind of like, what's this device you have? Like this, <laughs> this retroscope is incredible. You're like, you think of an image and it displays on the wall. Yeah. It's not like his memory. It's not from his POV. It is like from a, a third party floating over the fights. Yeah. It is an amazing device. These are reproductions of actual Ditko panels. Yes. Uh, it's kind of Ramita's rendering. Uh, and he picked good ones. He picked the winners of Ditko panels. Yeah, I mean, it's great. It's some great... Um, we got to see the Enforcers, which is... Uh, we're, as this podcast, are fans of those characters, so that's nice. I'm flushing out a pitch for a television show on the Enforcers. Uh, everyone happen, keeps everybody. emailing in, excited for that. <laughs> um, I'm not exaggerating. Most emails we get now end with people saying they're excited to watch the enforcers on Netflix. Uh, I have, I think I'm going to get a real meeting and it's probably going to be with the least powerful person at Sony. I'm probably going to meet with like the janitor and get to pitch my <laughs> show or something like that. But, but there will be a meeting and I'll, and I'll, and I'll really, we'll release an episode when that happens. 
<laughs> Special episode of, of when I get rejected. <laughs> Someone's like, I see. I, yeah, thanks for coming in. Uh, we think that's a dumb idea. <laughs> um, Fancy Dan's the first character. Let, let me write that down. <laughs> character name Fancy Dan. <laughs> right now, your second character, you said he uses a rope? <laughs> Only. <laughs> Um, they might make a show all about ox. Yeah, that, yeah. Ox will take. Ox has legs, baby. I meet with like <laughs> the Flash Thompson of this era. Listen, you sound like a real weak sister, Dad. I need a tiger. <laughs> Give me that guy who punches. Yeah. Um, um, anyway, uh, uh, after the retroscope does some nice flashbacks to previous issues, they fight again. We have a huge fight, and it's um. You hear my cat meow? <laughs> I did hear your cat meow. She's, uh, I stopped paying attention to her for one second. My apologies, animal. Um, yeah, so then there's a huge, so after all this setup, there's a huge, huge fight between Spidey and the Goblin. Uh, it's pretty fun, and it ends with Norman losing his memory. <laughs> yeah, I a- mean, during the fight, Spider-Man is worried, like, even if I defeat this guy, he knows who I am. I don't know what I can do, because Spider-Man's not going to kill him. Yeah. That's not a real way to solve that problem. Yeah. Um, this is very soap opera, you know, amnesia. Distant dads, uh, Betty coming back from California. Um, yeah. I mean, things are in motion. Yeah. And uh, Harry loses his memory. Or, I'm sorry. Norman loses his memory and um, and Peter sets him free. Yeah. He brings him out and he says, uh, you know, uh, he's a hero. He helped me finish off the Green Goblin. Um, can't stop to explain now, but I promise you one thing. The Green Goblin will never trouble you again. That's a bad uh, thing to say yeah uh and then uh spider-man goes home and aunt may had a terrible shock uh-oh peter came home late hunky <laughs> <laughs> Hun- 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 doctor is here and like scolds peter a cruelly scolds basically it's like i know you're in college but if you don't call your aunt may on time she will die jesus Right? That's what he says. Why did you stay out so late without calling? I warned you that she must be spared from any serious worry or shock. <laughs> I never thought that you'd be so in feeling, so wrapped up only in yourself. He is like, what is he, 18, 19? I know, I He's know. in college. He's starting his life. Aunt May wants him to do this. If he doesn't call for one night, <laughs> she should live through the night. Otherwise, she should not be out of a hospital. I think this doctor was scripted by Steve Ditka. They, but the doctor is so good looking. I take his. I uh, take his side. Yeah. Yeah, I'm taking his side. We end with a little nice parallel moment of Aunt May nursing Peter uh, because she's worried about him. You know, he's he's just got out of this huge fight, so he's like worn down. She interprets that as yeah. a sickness, so she feeds him soup, and he's happy to let her do it because he knows she likes taking care of him. And then we also have a parallel thing of Harry taking care of his dad in the hospital. So it's a very sweet ending. Yep. Um, yeah, and that's the Ramita era. Kicked off. Yeah, it's the start of the Ramita era, and even though it's less dynamic and less exciting as Ditko, I think because the story is so big, it does leave you like going like, oh, I want to see more. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I feel that way too, and it's like at least something's happening now. Yeah, I mean, it was a smart move if it if it was thought out this much. Yeah. I don't know how much Stanley thinks things out to start with such a big momentous um, moment after Ditko leaves. Because if this had just been like uh, the chameleon's back for an issue. Yeah, who cares? You might have just gone, ah, now the chameleon's here and it's not drawn I as well. Maybe I'm done. It's in my vest. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but instead, it's like, oh, this is huge. Yeah. Like, everything is changing. And, overall, and, though, the, the Ramita issues bore me. Like, uh, they, they in the 90s, I think it was, Kevin, correct me if I'm wrong, Marvel released these collections called The Essentials, which were like kind of inexpensive black and white newspaper reprints of all the old Marvel stuff. So you could like, yeah, they'd be like phone book size. So they could cover a lot of yeah. ground. So if you just wanted to read all the original issues pretty inexpensively, pre-internet, you could. And I would, you know, we bought the essential Spider-Man's, I think they up their issue a hundred or something. And I reread all the Ditko issues. That was the first time I read a lot of the later Ditko issues that weren't covered by our old digests. And then I read a bunch of the Ramitas and I got bored with the Ramitas and I stopped reading. I just like, I was like, I don't care after a while. Yeah. I think the next handful are still pretty good, but it gets boring pretty quick. I don't remember exactly when it is. There is a Stone Tablet series, but when the Kingpin shows up, I start getting real bored. And the Kingpin's a great character, but I just get bored during that era. Something about the, the, the stories become more plot and less emotional. You know, it's more like, how are we going to get this device? You know, and like, 
the the only good thing about it i think is that um is the the slang of the college students becomes <laughs> super fun and it and it also stan lee is more engaged and i like stan and i like it when he likes the stories and so even though he's corny and ham-fisted i i it's he brings a lot of life to things and so i like that he, and he's into the stories he no one's there to challenge him anymore yeah, Stan's definitely more into this story than he was the last batch, um, and probably because he pitched it. Yeah, and it's a it's a good one. Um, all right, should we move on to? I don't think we should do awards for these. No, I don't think so either. We're only doing Ditko awards. I think we should move on to reader mail. Yeah, but uh, I have got a few emails to read, and then we'll have a bunch of emails next week for our final final episode. Okay. <laughs> um. So, uh, this is an email from Jason, and he sent us an email. Uh, well, first of all, he, he's, you weren't fooling when you said issue 35 was a throwaway. Um, <laughs> so this is at the Molten Man issue. I think he's referring oh, yeah. to yeah. Stan's hamming it up so much. It almost reminds me of one of those seventies Marvel activity books. <laughs> yeah, it does feel like that. Uh, he says, sad to think your podcast is ending soon. Hopefully you'll follow it up with screw it Hulk or screw it. Fantastic four. A lot of people are asking for a screw it. Fantastic four. Um, cause they, cause I think we raved about the fantastic four enough recently. Yeah, they are so those issues are so good. Yeah. Uh he agrees that the Master Planner saga is one of the best comic series ever. Whenever I recommend my favorites, that one always tops the list along with the Black Cat Doc Ock run that starts in Peter Parker 75. Fun. Um last thing, are you familiar with Marvel's 2 in 1 annual number 7? Think you'd both love it since you're such so spirited fans of Spidey's don't give up attitude. Now, I haven't read this story but I do know about it. This is the one where the thing goes to like an intergalactic boxing match. <laughs> do you know about this? No, I forget what the character's name is that he box. Um, it's like the champion or something like that, but it's basically the thing has to win this fight or like the universe is doomed. And right. the thing is way overpowered. Uh, and I haven't read okay. it, so I don't necessarily know how it goes, but the thing I'm sure wins. Yes. Uh, and I think the thing is the other like major Marvel character who really, they all go into this sort of never give up attitude, but the thing and Spider-Man hit it more than most. I feel like. Yes. Well, they're, they're like the thing and Spidey are maybe the two best characters of sixties Marvel. I mean, the thing is Jack Kirby's alter ego essentially. And Spidey is Steve did. And they're, they're the soul of sixties Marvel. Yeah. Um, I mean the thing in the early fantastic four fights, the Hulk for like two issues straight. Yeah. And he's got it and nobody else can even stand up to the Hulk and the Hulk way overpowers the thing. And the whole time, the thing is just like, if I don't stand up, the Hulk destroys the city. I've got to slow him down until somebody figures a way out to beat him. And it's up to me and only I can do it. And that's a great moment. There's also like a moment where I think the thing takes on Dr. Doom single-handedly. Okay. Yeah. I have vague memory. I mean, I just know that the thing is awesome. Yeah. (laughs) And there's also a, a favorite story of yours and mine, I believe. Uh, well, I know mine. I believe yours. What John Byrne story where they're traveling into the center of ego. Yeah, I love that story. So ego it. is the living planet uh, sort of adapted in Guardians of the Galaxy volume two. Yeah. And they have to like put some device in the center of the planet and the entire Fantastic Four are traveling in. And one by one, they have to like drop off for various reasons. They can't withstand the heat or the pressure until it's just the thing. Yep. And then he gets a point where he shouldn't be able to go on anymore, but there's nobody else to take it the rest of the way. And so he just keeps going. Yeah, it's a great story. I think it's the second story in the second really? or third. It's really early. Um, Burn came out strong, man. Um, so strong. Yeah. But yeah, so like the thing is definitely a character I love for that sort of, even though he's very, he's a super strong character, he seems to find himself in those positions where he should yeah. fall down. Um, so thank you, Jason. Thank you, Jason. Yeah, good tip. Uh, this is from Joe, uh, from Joe, uh, Joe Trump, I'll say, or Joey T, as he calls himself. <laughs> Joey T, baby. Um, What's up, Tiger? So there's this Wolverine audio play as a podcast. I don't know if you've heard about it, Will, called Wolverine the Long Night. Oh, I, I have heard of this. Yeah, I haven't listened to it, but I have heard of it as well. Uh, Joey T enjoys it. Uh, he thinks a Daredevil audio drama would be perfect. But he says, if Campfire Media and Marvel... <laughs> Yeah. Asked you guys to write a Spider-Man audio miniseries. How would you make Spider-Man suitable for an audio experience? What villain would you use for creating cool sounds? Would it be based on something like the Master Planner Saga or something completely new? 
What a fun question. Um, yeah, my first instinct is the villain have to be something like the hisser or like something where it's like <laughs> really, really like <laughs> auditorily like activated. And um, I wouldn't try to set out to do a master planner because I think that has to be the result of like lots of buildup. Yes. I would just I would just try to pick something that would have a kind of good emotionally based fight. I don't yeah, know. You'd so, want you know, somebody who is sort of creepy. You could hear him being creepy. Maybe it's that this maybe that's the lizard. Um, yeah. Because the animals. Uh, uh, it's, it's, um, yeah, and you want to put Peter in some kind of emotional dilemma, like either, you know, by defeating this villain, you'll also hurt this thing you love, or, um, you know, you have to ignore this domestic problem you have to stop this villain pro, you know, you have to put, you have to put the, put the, you have to put Peter under some kind of emotional pressure. It's very fun thinking about somebody that has an audio experience. He fights a character in the, uh, Dan Slot brings up a, a new villain that sort of um, he sort of retcons into early Spider-Man stories um, that uses sound waves. That's fun, and that could maybe work though. Maybe it would be too annoying to listen to a podcast with like sound waves. I think I I think I my okay new pitch instead of the hisser I'll have him fight the zither. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so it'll be very like third man, you know, very like noir. Yeah, yeah. Yes, uh, uh, that sounds uh, quite a threat for Spider-Man to take down. Sounds sounds more like a Spider-Man comic strip villain. He's, this guy's guy plays the zither for the New York Philharmonic, but he's a jerk and a bully, and he gets fired, and nobody appreciates his zither playing ability. Then he falls into a vat of whatever, <laughs> you know. Yeah, ten yeah. lightning, ten lightning bolts hit because Electro is like on the rehab, and he's doing a light show for an elementary school nearby. I'll, I'll work it out. I'll work it out. <laughs> Um, great. Uh, Clash, I think, was the name of the Dan Slot character. Um, uh, it, it also this also makes me think of Batman Beyond, which I've talked about a few times in this podcast, which was sort of the future sequel to the Batman the Animated Series, yeah, cartoon that aired that was so good. Batman Beyond shares some DNA with Spider Man, sure, yeah. and that he's a he's a talker, he's a jokester, yeah, he's, um, he's a very Peter Parker like character. That he's, he's got a mom and a brother, but I think his dad dies. Maybe it's his fault, um, but whatever. He sort of has the weight of the world on his shoulders. Um, and he fights a villain called Shriek, who can manipulate sound. And the first time he faces him, Shriek turns off all the sound in the world or like wow. in the room. So Batman Beyond can't hear this guy sneaking up on him. And they're like in a big factory with big pieces of machinery moving around. Ooh, that's funny. And Batman Beyond can't hear it. And it's hitting him from behind. And I remember watching that as a, uh, I think college aged, uh, fella and thinking like how cool a villain that was for an animated show that it wouldn't work as well in the comics. Yeah. Cause manipulating the sound just, you can't do it on the page. And it was right. really, really fun. Like you would just be cool. hit by these things and fall down or there'd be no, so all he could, all you'd hear is Batman Beyond's footsteps, which I think were sort of simulating ringing in his own head. That's fun. It was great. Anyway, something like that. <laughs> um, good question. Thank you, Thank Joey you. T. Thank you, Joey T. Uh, Cassie Hoagie, who has emailed us uh, last, last episode, episode yeah. uh, sent us a Jimmy Fallon joke <laughs> to see whether you liked it or not, Will, okay. or to see if we liked it. Okay. So this is uh, Jimmy Fallon. is a host of The Tonight Show uh, with Jimmy Fallon on NBC's. You can yes. catch it 1130s. Yeah, let's plug, most plug the Tonight Show. Yep. Um, and he does it. thank you notes where he writes thank you notes uh, to various Pop Things culture and uh, yeah, topical yeah. stories and their uh, uh, um, jokes. So he did one for Venom. So I'm going to read to you, Will. And then Cassie just wants to know, is this funny? Okay, good question. Let's see. <laughs> okay, great. Thank you, movie supervillain Venom, for being the Marvel Comics version of the dude who say, what's up? I do think that is funny. Okay, good. All right, so there's your answer, Cassie. <laughs> um. She also wants to know why we have the same last name. I feel like we've answered that before. I wonder that myself. Um, so I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna get into it. Okay. Well, it's a mystery to me too. Um, uh, Adam Lennon wrote. Um, Adam from Rochester. Maybe I shouldn't have said his last name. I keep going back and forth on his last name. But all the supervillains find all these people. Uh, they knew what they were getting into. He says, uh, I grew up with the Tobey Maguire movies and got heavily addicted to reading Spider-Man comics. Pretty much as soon as I got a smartphone the smartphone via the Marvel app. That's how I read a lot of the old Steve Ditko and Stan Lee comics, but I started reading most of the current spider titles around the same time. 
Okay. Then he talks about the Spider-Man game for a little bit. And he goes, I was wondering if either of you have read or heard about the Spider-Geddon series that's currently being published by Marvel right now. I have not heard. So of I have. It is a sequel to, and he tells us this as well, it's a sequel to the Spider-Verse series from 2014. So the Spider-Verse series was a story that Dan Slott did where Spider-Man and Spider-Mans from every alternate universe team up. Okay. So it's Spider-Man and Spider-Gwen and Spider-Man Noir and Spider-Ham. It's sort of an a sim- uh, a inspiration to the new Miles Morales Spider-Man movie Into the Spider-Verse that's coming out. Uh, and it was really fun. Like it was like every sort of Spider-Man you could think of sort of was there or at least referenced. And it was a blast. That's cool. So they're doing a sequel to it because it was very popular and because this movie's coming out, I guess. And he wants to know what I think of it. And it feels too soon uh, because the fun of seeing all these characters has already been done. Uh, But I'm also reading it because it's silly and fun and and, and very, uh, you know, there's something fun about seeing Spider-Ham hang out with Spider-Man. Um. But it does. Uh, the original Spider-Verse story was sort of good, despite how silly a concept that is. And this Spider-Geddon feels like too much too soon. OK, it's the okay. it's the mummy sequel, the Brendan Fraser mummy movies. Did you ever see those? <laughs> I, uh, yes. I thought the first mummy movie was a blast. Yeah, it's, you're a fan. it's silly. It's over the top. I love it. And then the sequel just feels like everything else. Uh, the same movie times two. Yeah. And I felt like the first movie was basically all I could handle of it. Yeah, and, and then they doubled it. And they it. doubled it. I was like, this is too much. Yeah. It's the same movie. I get why you did it. Yeah. But it's now too much. That's what I feel about Spider-Geddon. So that's my answer to that. I saw The Mummy Returns on a plane, and I think I cried. <laughs> okay, so maybe it works. Well, seeing movies on planes, I think people are more emotional. I don't know if it's the, let, the atmospheric pressure. I also cried at The Crudes, the animated caveman <laughs> uh, special. I haven't seen The Crudes. I cried at uh, 16 Blocks. That's actually a good movie. That's, that's less. That's a great movie. Cool. And uh, I uh, almost cried at a Knight's Tale, the Heath Ledger. Oh wow! Uh, Paul, Paul, also a good um, movie. God, that was good. I was so glad to have seen. It. I definitely have cried on on, on uh, watching movies on planes, but I can't remember what the last one was. The last movie I watched on a plane was Spider Man, uh, Superman, Man of Steel, and it was so bad. I didn't cry; I just was angry. But it was the only way to watch that movie was to be trapped on a plane. <laughs> um. We got a couple. Thank you. Oh, yeah. That was um, Adam. Adam, yeah. We got a couple more and then uh, we'll wrap up. Okay. This is from uh, Ilya. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Okay. Um, uh, First of all, as a podcast power listener, whatever that term means, (laughs) I appreciate your intention to have this as more of a mini series rather than indefinitely ongoing. So one vote to end. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I think he's right. I'm a podcast power listener too. And I, I, I have to just give up on podcasts after a while. And it's not because they get bad. Usually I'm just like, well, I just, I just need some variety and I have to switch it up. Yeah. Uh, find pod- podcast benefit from taking a, at least taking a break, if not shifting their theme entirely from time to time. All that being said, to try to entice you to your, to continue your podcast. So he wants it to end, but he's trying to continue, get us to keep going. Uh, he wants us to explore uh, something else. My recommendation, which I think has been noted on the show prior, is the mid-90s animated Spider-Man series on Fox Kids. Okay. Uh, we're not going to do that. Okay. Um, but I have talked to you about doing an episode where we cover like one episode of various uh, sp- animated Spider-Man cartoons. Yeah, there's been a bunch. And just kind of doing like picking one episode from each series and sort of just comparing them. Yeah. Um, uh, but I just never got around to getting the episodes so that we could do that. We might still do it at some point. If but, we ever do that, I'll tell you my boring non-story of meeting the guy who did the voice of the original animated Spider-Man in the 60s. Who still a tiny bit when I hear his voice, I'm, uh, I'm like, that's Spider-Man. Yeah. Because for so long, it was the only Spider-Man voice. Yep. But anyway, the main reason I'm reading this is because he gave us some highlights or she gave us some highlights. I'm not sure of Ilya's gender identity. Um, but these highlights are fun. So I'm going to share them with you, Will. Okay. Some highlights from rewatching the show in college with some friends include an Alexander Solsk, Solsk, uh, Solzins, scene. I can't pronounce that, quoting Craven, a story okay. arc featuring the vulture and some kind of bizarre Benjamin Button-esque reverse aging narrative, <laughs> a bizarrely articulate and almost philosophical version of the lizard featuring an all-lizard people taken on the allegory of the cave that takes place in New York's sewers. 
Jesus. An ongoing portrayal of science as a broad field of study spanning physics, astronomy, chemistry, biology, neuroscience, engineering, robotics, and just about everything else that anyone with a doctor prefix before their name is capable of mastering. I think that's true <laughs> in TV a lot. Yeah. When someone's smart, they're also um, uh, good at everything. Yeah. Uh, the finale is some kind of bizarre meta-narrative masterpiece akin to the forthcoming Into the Spider-Verse film, for which I will let the Wikipedia summary do the talking. Quote, when all the Spider-Men are being returned home, the powerless one explains that in his world, he's an actor that portrays Spider-Man and that he is a fictional character. Spidey journeys to that world where he meets his creator, Stan Lee, and takes him web swinging as thanks for creating him. End quote. <laughs> Uh, doesn't meet, I kind of like it. Doesn't meet Steve Ditko, which is a sad. That's sad. But uh, that's very fun. Thank you for sharing those tidbits. I don't think we will. I'm, in fact, I'm sure we will never do a podcast covering all the episodes. <laughs> uh, and one last email, if you got time, Will. I do. This is from Jeff. Um, I really love the podcast. I never read many of these early Spidey stories. This felt like an entire collegiate level course. Thank you. It was. was. Yeah, there's a test, and if you fail it, Aunt May will die. <laughs> uh, my question, if there was some magical what-if way to have had Stan, uh, to have had Steve Ditko draw slash plot any other classic Spider-Man run, what would you have wanted to see him do in his style? Oh, that's a very fun question. Yeah. Well, I think I have an answer to this, Kevin. Do you? I have some. Okay, I have a... It's a weird one because I'm actually going to pick one he's not suited for, but I sort of, you know, I see Steve Ditko's life as, as a story in and of itself. And I always, I wished for a redemption moment where Steve Ditko would let some love and friendship and joy into his life. And that might've been true. We know so little about him that I'm not even sure what I'm saying is accurate, but I, I see him as a lonely guy. And because of that, I would like him to draw Spidey and Mary Jane getting married, like sort of a happy people depending on each other and showing kindness. Uh, I, I wonder what Ditko would have done with that. I think I think it if he could have cracked open his own heart and then used his unique visual style and his excellent, excellent taste in drawing to show a, a true love story, it'd be fascinating. So I would pick, I want Ditko to draw Mary Jane and Peter Parker getting married. I think that's a great answer. I think it's it's it almost feels too easy to say this, but I would love to have seen him do the first uh, Venom storyline. Oh yeah, the, the 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 big villain that wasn't really part of him. Yeah, and the Venom's costume is sort of fluid and and yes, yes, and oh, perfect so to his style. I I totally agree. It'd um, be amazing. And this sort of revenge thing, and sort of Venom feels sort of even it fits Ditko's sort of uh, mentality, yes. at least early Venom, where. Eddie Brock was sort of a jerk and a punk and thought he deserved more. So he was a bad guy. So he's a bad guy. He's super bad guy in those early stories. There's not, no yeah. redemption of Eddie Brock, though he yeah. gets redeemed that numerous is, times. That is a very Ditko-esque situation. Yeah. And, I, and the, I, anger, the revenge, the horror, yeah. like the, and the visual possibilities of that costume. Yeah, it's a great. I think that uh, could be really fun to do. It almost feels too obvious. To have him do I, that. I'm enticed, though. I, w I would like to see it. So my second choice would be Spider-Man teaming up with Power Pack. <laughs> and fighting, the, boogie, and fighting the boogeyman. Yeah, I want Ditko drawing Cloak and Dagger. And you know what? Ditko would have been great. Oh, he would have been cloak great for a Cloak and Dagger story. Him drawing Cloak? Oh, oh. His dagger would look strange. It's hard to he imagine. Could, She's so sexed cool, up. Though. But, probably uh, cool, though. She'd probably have a better costume. I watched, I've watched half of the Freeform cloak and dagger series uh you know cloak yes. and dagger has a tv show on freeform that marvel's produced and and like every marvel tv show it's too slow but it is good it's like really good the actors are good the story is good the up they update this these crazy 80 i'm really impressed with the the show i i just wish there was half as many episodes but i but i really love it i feel like i i've started so many marvel tv shows and i haven't gotten through any of them um and i feel like they all are good but I just get bored of all of them. Like I was watching Runaways on Hulu. And I was yeah. like, oh, this is so good. And I got like four episodes in and I was like, ah, eh, feels yeah. like nothing is happening. Yeah. The first season of Daredevil, enough happened that it drew me through. Yeah. The early four or five episodes of Daredevil carried me through to the end of that season, yeah. even though it slowed way down. 
and I haven't been able to finish anything since. Yeah. I, yeah. And it, and it's not because any, there's no moment that feels bad. It just right. Just, it just and I saw the cloak and dagger trailer and I was like, this looks so good. Um, oh, it's good. It's good. Uh, but I don't know if I could make it through the whole season. Um, anyway, thank you, Jeff, for the, that question. I'd love to know what other people would love to see Steve, Steve Ditko plot and draw. We're interested in anybody's thoughts on Steve Ditko. And that is a standing offer for the rest of our lives. Um, but that's all the emails I'm going to read today. Will. okay. Um, thank you everyone who wrote in that they wrote us at screw it spidey at gmail.com. If you write us now, we won't get it till after the podcast is done recording, but I will forward it to will and we will try to respond to emails we'll try to read it and respond. Yes. Uh, you can still follow screw it spidey on Instagram and Twitter where we post, um, images from the comics that we talk about. And I don't know what I'm going to do with that after we finish the season up. Um, I'm considering rereading Dan Slotron. I might just start posting images from that. Um, but it, it it will at the very least be a museum of great Ditko highlights, and it might be more. That's right. Um, so you can still check out Screw It's Buddy at Instagram and Twitter, and you can still email us. Like I said, next week is our last last episode uh, uh, until we start doing more. Yeah, I guess we'll say end of the season might be the end of the podcast. Yeah, I mean, it seems likely we'll do more episodes. Whether or not we do another season is up in the air. Yeah, um, I agree. Uh, all right. Well, uh, we'll see everybody uh, next episode. Kevin, good job. Good job, Will. Thanks you for doing this. See you later, Tigers. <laughs> Bye. Screw it. Screw it. We're just going to talk about Spider-Man. Hi, I'm Winston. And I'm David. And we're the hosts of a new podcast on Campfire Media called Try It, You'll Like It. And on our podcast, we have our guests eat a food they hate one last time. And we have so many crazy yes. We got amazing chefs. We have killer comedians. Bakers. Candlestick makers. Distillers. Brewers. Food writers. Oh, they're Ooh. writing about food. Ooh, they're probably having some food while they're writing about that yeah, food. Yeah, because we're eating food, and they're eating food, and you're listening to It Happen. All you ASMR hits, enjoy. Chomp, chomp. So check it out every Thursday at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. Mmm, that was good. Campfire.